Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave in the hotel, Rupert, and with me is Chris in the office choir. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Doing very good. I'm admiring your your dedication to this show. You know that we never miss a show around here in Shop Talk never Show. Although I say that shows <laughs> until July 2023, where we take them all off. <laughs> so. No, we don't. Yeah, we we might. We'll give you a, a heads up if we do. But if you if you're a longtime listener, you know Monday morning this show is is waiting for you. Chris Chris did his job. It's out. And part of that reason is because Dave put a. Yeah, he put a microphone in his friggin' luggage and hauled his butt to San Francisco this week. Dave is, um, this is probably going to be, it might be a week or maybe two even after uh, after this conference is over. But Figma, the famous design software, widely beloved, is throwing a conference. I don't know if it's the first of its kind, but it feels like uh, a lot of uh, hoopla over this yeah, one. Yeah, they've done a, a few Figma configs before. Um, and Figma does like smaller events throughout the year, but this is kind of like their big one. And so, yeah, uh, it's kind of, I think, uh, you know, I, I'd have to look at the timeline, but this might be the first one after like the whole Adobe sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't which know. is still unresolved, isn't I think it? I don't yeah, I'm not going to speak, but I, I think that's in limbo as far as I, I know. I, don't, I wonder I if they'll address it at the conference. That seems juicy. It seems like something I would avoid. Like, we're here to talk about this software, yeah, not drama. So if it was, <laughs> if it was resolved, Chris ends, here you go. If it was they, the merger happened, we say, and the merger happened, and that's great. Oh. And if it's not resolved, we say, and we don't know yet what's going on. So... Yeah, good luck. Or just air all three of those. That's, That's a fine. Little if statement in in the middle of the podcast, right? <laughs> just a little if statement, <laughs> conditional audio, brought to you by Lemon Productions. Well, what's funny is there's that, but it's like this is a big conference. I wouldn't be surprised if there's other interesting news, perhaps even more interesting, because who owns this piece of software? I have to admit, isn't the most interesting thing in the world to me. I'm a little bit nerdier than that, and I just want to know what kind of cool features are coming or if they're entering some new hemisphere of stuff they do for me or something. Is it for developers? So that's why I'm invited. Like that that's why they brought me out for like a developer perspective because like I I'd heard the stat and learned the stat like 33% or something of people who use Figma are developers. And that checks Third, out at my yeah. company. I mean, <laughs> but, right. um, uh, but like, that's actually pretty surprising. So when you like hop into Figma as a developer, what's your experience, Chris? Is it just, it's like, I don't know. Man, this is a lot, right? I guess your design brain probably kicks in, huh? Like, you're, Yeah, that's how I'm, I'm like unclassifiable as a human being, unfortunately, because as much as I like write code and feel like a developer, I just play one on TV, you know, like I'm mostly a designer, I feel like. So I'm not like looking for, I'm not like, oh my God, I, I need the hex code for the button. I need help. Hopefully there's a developer drawer that helps me find the hex code. It's like, no, I, I'm pretty comfortable getting my own hex code. Thank you. You know, I probably invented the system that delivered that hex code. So like I've been working with Figma for like the last year ish plus year real seriously. And even though I use it in, in, in building on the API and stuff like that, it's actually, 
I find it like pretty opaque to use, like to get like the hex or the the token or whatever. You have to like go up to the top little bar and click the right thing and then get the mm. thing. So what they do now, what they is it's going to be like a developer mode. So it's like this, like basically like you click a toggle oh. and you get only the information you care about. Like you, you're not even in edit mode per se. Like you're in like in, in designers or whoever can mark things as ready really? for development. So All like, right. Well, I know I feel bad about what I was saying about the like, Oh my God, give me a developer drawer. But, but like if I was looking at a document and that's, and that's all I cared about at the moment, I'm sure I would toggle that on. Yeah. So, and then it's kind of like, like when you're clicking around, like it's going to try to get you to the component, like reveal the component you're clicking on and give you all that stuff, like the basic styles okay. and stuff like that. But it gets cooler because there's these things you can do like plugins. Figma has a whole plugin deal, right? right? Yeah. I'm impressed by them. Yeah. Like I like, like a, I want to apply some, uh, you know, like 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 Paravel's famous grungy look on on yeah, not yeah, everything, yeah. but you know, you guys like it. Uh, there's like a grunge plugin that's like, oh yeah, how much grunge? And you like slide the slider, and then it it does all the magical behind the scenes stuff to 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 make grunge happen in Figma, which is otherwise not a built in feature of Figma. Yeah. So you can add plugins now, and there's even in this like dev mode or thing, and it, and it's kind of like this like you know links out to like your Jira task to like code the component or refactor it or whatever. Uh So like you get a little bit of a paper trail in that component, but um, so that's one cool thing where it gets super cool is you have this dev mode, right? So it's just the component you care about the component you're operating on. You can mark the view as ready for develop. So you don't have to surf through your designer's, file, mm. which is terrible. I'm just, I'm going to throw my coworkers under the bus. They name their layer or like they, what is, it's like sheets or whatever they call it, but yeah. it's like layer one, like layer one, V2, V3, V5 final, you know, they're doing the Photoshop thing in the sidebar, uh, just not in the files, it's, but it's in the sidebar hundred percent is there's like July 10th, July 3rd, July 2nd, you know, Ooh. anyway, so my, so you can just mark one as like ready for develop. Like this is the one, this is the canonical one we're all looking at. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but what it gets even cooler is there's now a VS code extension. So Whoa. if you are like operating in your code editor, you never have to go to Figma. You just open the VS code extension and you have all the information you need, all the Jira tickets, all the, you know, if you set all this up, the storybooks, mm. the uh, component, the the Figma stuff. And so all that stuff's like in your code editor. And that's pretty cool for me from a, a like cutting out the middleman perspective. <laughs> like, uh, like don't, I, I can just go find the component. Just tell me where it is. It's sort of the, the thing I think I'm looking for as a developer. And so that's, I think what's pretty cool about their solution. So, yeah, I like it. I'll ha- I wish I saw the, the, the demo, not that you didn't do an excellent job. Dave, show me. I just can't now. I'm like, Oh, there's a, what does the sidebar look like? What does the mode look like? What is the- a, a hint of green, uh, which is, yeah, of course, a little code bracket, of course. Um, but, but it's, it's more like simplified and it's more like kind of drilled down to the component that you want and it'll give you suggest some styles, but you can also like throw in another plugin like anima or something like that, that does like, you know, very sophisticated code translating. Jake Alba has like this basically spit out your component as a web component, react component. Uh, no. Any, yeah. Svelte, he's whatever polymathy guy, but, yeah. um, but he, uh, it, but, but is that going to work in production? 
Dave Rupert probably says no, but um, well, it's a kicker offer though. Kicker offer. I think I think it's kind of like people at least like opening the door. And if you your company wants to like build that pipeline, you could theoretically, you know, you you could build the Figma to website pipeline. I just think yeah, reality kind of hits, and there's like a lot of uh, you know. Like you think of like a query layer or something like a list of blog posts or something you want, you you don't want to write your query layer and your biz logic and all that weird stuff you do date formatting. You don't want to really do that in Figma per se. That's my take, but um, who knows? So people might, maybe this is the beginning of something or, or at least tying together like the code and design intent. I think that's a big deal. So yeah. Huh. Like here's what we designed, and then pfft, here's what it looks like and good, you know. <laughs> right. So. That's always been such a hard thing to pull off. You know, haven't you seen it? Like, I feel like I don't know. Framer dipped their toes in that for a minute. Maybe they still do to some degree. The the, the like I don't. know. It's a design tool. I want all the affordances of a design tool. Yet I want automatic code production from it. And of the tools that do okay at that. In my mind, it's like a one-way street. It's like, okay, yeah, great. This looks this looks and acts perfect from a design perspective. Good job. But now I need to put my GraphQLs in there and my use states and my fancies because it's a thing that needs to live in a web app that does actual stuff. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Now, as soon as that stuff is in there, it's you're not going back. To the it doesn't re, it doesn't remain editable, uh, as far as I can yeah. tell. Yeah, I, I feel like there needs like we need a better designer developer bridge, if that makes sense. Or people build their own is probably the best best way to say it, and it has varying degrees of success. <laughs> like, I mean, you've probably heard horror stories of, or we had one question last week. It was like my desi- designer's kind of awful, you know, and it was just we had to be like maybe get another job i think was our answer <laughs> or, or talk yeah. to your boss you know oh i remember so that like, yeah yeah when that design developer bridge is rough i think i think tools having a way to do it like by default is pretty cool it gives you like the baseline experience for designer to developer bridging um that gap right and then there's a the developer to production gap and then you know, there's also this, the business wants to make money. So we're just going to inject ads everywhere gap. So we're just filling spackling gaps, I think is, is what development is. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're there. Especially it does seem like there's some, some Luro connections that are, it's probably, it's, you know, it feels like kind of important that you are there now that I think about it. Oh, it's, I mean, from a Luro standpoint, like, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't this not to be a commercial for Luro here, but we kind of sensed or or thought that Figma would be kind of into this design developer tightening up that loop thing, right? And this um, is proof of that. <laughs> and we we do that to some degree, but we actually kind of more care about like how it gets to production, like how the and and what is it successful? Is your design system successful in production? Are the things you're learning sticking around? Do they just lose do you just lose all your knowledge about the mm. hero unit or the uh 
checkout flow the second somebody quits, you know? So that's sort of the stuff we care about is like the sort of knowledge permanence and even just the adoption of the design system. So indeed, I love that. That's kind of our, so you mentioned um, storybook for, for a minute. That's a very big name in our industry, right? Or it has become, cause it's kind of like build components and then document them sort of. But what's kind of cool about it is that like, it's not, it doesn't infest your component, right? You make a storybook component kind of next to the actual component that you use and it, you know, mounts and controls that component. So crucially, like you rip storybook out, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't, it's not connected to your actual component. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm bringing that up for a reason because I saw it while I was over at Render at the last thing I was at, I talked to a couple of fellas who are building this thing called Make Swift that might be worth a look, although it's React only and Next.js only. So pretty specific in what it does, but it solved that gap that I, speaking of gaps, I guess, um, that I tried to outlay before, with which is like that idea that a design tool produces a component in a tool like React or whatever, or even a web component. And then like, then you go mess with it yourself. And now you've broken the connection to that design tool because the design tools now can't deal with all your extra stuff or you you risk it getting written over or something Mm -hmm. they they made this tool like storybook or at least it seems to me where you put another component right next to your real component that says this is this is going to make it work with our tool and what their tool is is like um the closest i i I wonder if they would hate this comparison i'm sure they're aware of it though it's like webflow Mm -hmm. where you it's it's a little drag and droppy it's trying to replicate basically what css and HTML can do essentially, but not have you actually have to write CSS or HTML. So it's like Webflow, only the components aren't just any components. They're your components that you built. Mm, nice. And yeah. It pieces them together and puts the props in there and stuff to the point. And then, and then you literally deploy it. Like it's a, you know, here's, it's like, here's my design system. Here's the components that are wired up to work with your thing. And then you build a site and deploy it. So it's, you know, it's pretty cool. But I like that idea of how it's kind of solved the, you can do whatever you want with your actual components. You can put your GraphQLs and whatnot in there and your state machines and your inline CSS and your whatever you want to do with the components. It doesn't care what you do, but you can still use them in this other context thanks to this additional file that kind of mounts it. No, oh, that's cool. I, I mean, I, you know, and I wonder too, is this like more marketing site? Is this more product site or e-commerce? Right. You know? um, and I think like marketing. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the, the big examples are kind of that, right? Like the card component and stuff like that. Yeah. Not necessarily marketing. But what I like about that is you are turning, like if you build with a system like this, or if you have a really good design developer bridge and you figure out the way to get Figma to spit out live code, uh, you're, you're kind of like enabling people to, you know, do things in a no Cody kind of way and where they might be more comfortable, you know, not everyone wants to be right. a full-time developer and <laughs> we should probably celebrate that we don't have to do everything all the time. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's cool. Um, 
I was going to say, I do like storybook. I like the story format. I like the idea of like, Hey, here's a story, run my component through this scenario, you know, like try this out, you know, and storybooks actually gotten into this kind of, uh, uh, front end testing. Have you seen any of that stuff? Like, um, like you can basically like almost write, like if you're writing like a jest test for a component, it might be better to run like a storybook interaction test or whatever, like click this, see, Mm -hmm. expect this alert or expect this modal to show up or whatever. Uh, as opposed to like doing that in jest or puppeteer they, or something like that. Am I, so, I'm, that, I'm that ignorant. Do they, does storybook run tests? Is that a thing it does? Yeah. Yeah. So it can kind of really? like, it's a new sort of thing it can do. So, um, wow. so yeah. Oh yeah. How to test UIs with storybook. Oh geez. That's smart. Huh? Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, we don't have a storybook. Ironically, uh, we support storybook. No, though, we don't, but we don't have one. Um, it's mostly, the tricky thing about storybook, and I think they would agree, is like there's this thing where you have to spin up another server to like run it. You know, it doesn't just run in your project that you have to like spin up another server to run it. Right. Um, I mean, we would just put it in our startup flow that starts every other million things we have to do. And we have kind of a special admin area. We'd probably slot it into that. My problem is, would it be worth it for our small team? And I don't, there's just no, nobody's asking for it. Nobody's begging for it. You know, I think there's probably yeah. a minimum size team where it kind of does what it needs to do. It's not that I don't like it conceptually. I just don't think I would get value out of it like immediately. I like it, but I, I worry, I and I we could put it in our turbo repo and spin up a whole thing. You know, it'd be pretty easy to be honest. I worry about like, you know, <laughs> if like the stories get out of date or whatever. And it's like, then mm. it's like, Oh, it's like one more thing to maintain for me right this minute. Um, but I've thought about like, maybe I should move some of my component tests over that way and how ha- just let storybook do it. Yeah. And that is kind of always being worked on then, you know? So I feel a little silly actually. Not, I, I'm glad we do this show because I, I makes me think about things kind of from a different perspective. Sometimes, just in the last couple of days, I spun up in a Next.js site, by the way, a special URL that's just for. I just wanted a quick little UI just for um, visualizing some components. Like these components are, they're going to be used in the real site, but I just needed a quick little UI to like look at them all together and on demand and i'm like oh crap i just made a bad storybook didn't i <laughs> you invented storybook damn uh, it it's okay every every developer does this at one point in their life <laughs> i wasn't even thinking about it i was just like oh i'll just make a route quick because it you know it takes one second to make a uh, call a folder admin and put a page in there and drop some components in there components like it, with props and blah blah you know yeah like, yeah like the technical like, debt there is pretty friggin low uh so I don't know that I f- for sure regret it. But then it's like the like, okay, well, cool. Now we need to like add a route or a webpack rule that says don't compile this folder, you know, and then like don't do that, you know, but. Yeah, you, yeah. But, but then there's stuff the, in the opposite direction. Of course, I, I have this page that's rendering these components and I have like five use state calls at the top that's like, okay, render this with this prop and without this prop and with this other prop and without this prop. And that's what I mean, a bad storybook because I'm like, yeah. I invented my own little like props control machine on right. it, right. which I'm sure is that's the part that's a little maybe... Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, Storybook's cool. Make Swift. Check it out. Um, I was impressed by their team and the demo. It's a really neat 
uh, thing that they're doing, I think. And and Figma, congrats to them on doing some pretty fancy developer focused stuff. I think that's smart to like understand how the who the people are using your thing and make stuff for those people. That's what I like here. You know, it, it's a platform, right? Like it has an API. You can write to it. You can write plugins. You can make weird things. I, I heard about some designers who like just had this like one task where they like whatever. Uh, let's just hypothetical like exporting assets or something. And so you'd have to like click the file. You'd have to scroll down to the thing, and you have to click the export and do that new Figma dev mode fixes the assets thing too. And you can get it right in your VS code anyway. Um, but like, but like, I think so like these people wrote a plugin that just like bundles the assets for them, you know? So like it's stuff like that, like, like almost like in your VS code, you like write plugins to like make your life better in VS code. You can do that in Figma. You can do that in fig jam, you know? So if there's one thing your team always does like to kick off a project or something like that, you could just kind of like, boom, like use this plugin. So that's kind of interesting. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Notion. That's notion.com slash shop talk. Use that URL, of course, notion.com slash shop talk. Today, I'm excited to share that they just launched Notion Projects, which includes new powerful ways to manage projects and leverage the power of their built-in AI features too. Notion Projects combines project management with your docs, your knowledge base, and AI so you can stop jumping between tools and stop paying too much for those tools too. Notion is so great. You know, I wanted to mention one tiny little thing that I just love about Notion. It's a small feature, but I wonder if it will be compelling to you too is that it's like this block-based editor, right? So you write a paragraph or put an image there or a block of code or some bullet lists or a toggleable element. You know, the way that the things that you build these documents from is very loose and powerful and you can kind of do whatever you want in there. But like a paragraph, for example, turns out to be a block. So you can kind of copy and paste it around or just drag it around and stuff. It's a nice way to build documents. But let's say you have one and you're like, ooh, this is actually some good insight from say a meeting document, which is one of the ways I use Notion. You can copy it and then you go over to like, oh, I'm gonna do a project management card and we were talking about this problem, so it's become now a card that you're going to manage, and I'm going to paste that paragraph because it was insightful and useful to this task. You can paste or you can paste and sync, which means that the meeting notes and that thing, it's kind of like the same block. They stay in sync with each other, which is just so clever. I just love that feature. Not if you update one, it updates the other one too, so that you don't get this like information drift. It's such a nice thing. And while you're managing projects, of course, if you need to like get a little Kickstarter and you're thinking about that task, use their IEI tools and prompt them to fill out some stuff in there. It can really help your brain get going. So nice. Again, that's notion.com slash shop talk. Use that URL, notion.com slash shop talk. I was going to throw out, uh, <laughs> there's this thing called Grape.js. Have you heard of Grape.js? No. Um, it's it's basically a WYSIWYG. It's like a, uh, you just had me, my brain going, but it's uh-huh. like a web flow, open source right. web flow, basically. Um, so it's oh, this really, is, yeah, this is a lot like Make Swift. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
Although it looks like you don't bring your own components. It's like, I'd like to add columns. Okay, here's some columns. Yeah, I don't know what the like underpinnings are here, um, but it would be cool if it was your own. So, and I don't see why it couldn't be, or if you could. Perhaps, or if you could mount them into the sidebar or something. Oh, that's wild. I remember the early days of looking at Webflow and being like, this is so complicated. Oh, I guess amazing that you did this. All, all of a sudden, there, and I'm sure they would look at this and be like, ha ha, this is child's play compared to what we do or something. But it looks pretty robust at first glance. Oh, no, it's just interesting. It's just an interesting route you can go. But you know what would make all this easier? Web hmm. components. Then you wouldn't have to worry about React bundling and things like that. You just have a web component. That's true. That's true. Um, oh my gosh, I kind of, I kind of like this. Although, it, uh, the t- it just, it's just, it's just me, just talking about my weird little life. I'm not often in a situation where I'm like, I want to, av- I'm trying to avoid or provide to someone who doesn't code an, a, a no code experience. Like I like code. I want to write code. I want to write CSS. I want to piece together my own components. That's fine for me. In fact, I prefer it. So when I look at this, I'm like, that's, that's actually really cool. Like, I want to build that tool. I just, I don't need to use it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I want to write, I want to write code, but I also just want to write the code that make, lets other people not write code. That sounds like fun too. But. And I wonder which audience is bigger. Like, is there more need for this no code type of stuff out there? Or is there more need for like developer focused tools and I don't know. And maybe it's not the size, but like how much competition you have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, we have the age old thing where we would always provide no code tools. Right. And then, you know, cause the client was big on this has to be no code, like has to, you know, we have to be able to edit every single line of text because of a bad experience where they had to mm. pay per edit, you know, so we're like, okay, we'll build you a web flow. Guess what happens? They never update their website and they call us to update their website. So Yeah, it wasn't necessary to begin with. Yeah, like like what, you know, it's almost uh, maybe maybe building no code for people is not the solution. Maybe they just need to discover that themselves, you know. And uh, But people also want quality products. So that's the other part, you know, so... Indeed, I think there's a business we built Webflows for a couple few people, and was the it was the point of that was the you chose Webflow because you wanted to hand it off and say, hey, look, now you can edit it. Yeah, yeah, and then there's always this thing of like people don't like to have extra jobs. It turns out, you know? hmm. so when you're like, hey, office employee, it's your job now to update the website. That sometimes they're like, oh boy, hmm. I don't like that. So. Anyway, you can just, yeah, gotta, okay. you know, it, it's kind of like no code's a dream because you can maintain it for zero dollars with your current employees. But it's also a, yeah, like a, it's also a thing where somebody has to do it. And will they? I don't know. Question mark. I've so. built it for myself in the past, like built this like, oh, uh, I, I know I need to maintain like 15 landing pages. And I think I would still do this today. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with the WordPress block editor because I think that's actually better experience building and maintaining it even for myself. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, I shouldn't say that I 
only ever custom code it, but you know, it's filled with my own <laughs> crap, you know, fancy extra CSS and whatever. It's still essentially me building a thing from scratch. Um, all right. Well, that's cool. You know what I'm thinking about? Thinking about um, what companies that build design and development tools for us uh, and the clever things they do has me thinking about Stripe because some of the some stuff I'm doing lately is uh, around, you know, billing. And uh, there's a couple of things that Stripe provides that I've never used before that I'm just starting to use now that I think are like, holy crap, good job. <laughs> I guess I knew that it existed, but didn't know that I should be using it, I guess. Two things. One is called Stripe Checkout. Mm -hmm. Stripe Checkout is kind of like a oh, like hosted cart and checkout so you yeah. could for example send somebody say oh you oh you want to buy this baseball hat you know just boom you send somebody there and you don't have to build the checkout page or the cart page or anything it's just like you've told it that it's a baseball hat and how much it costs and they handle it, the whole rest of the flow yeah so you, that's amazing how much how little work you have to do for that that's cool but like you could do that with PayPal too. You know, you can always send somebody to like make a little PayPal button or something. So th yeah, that's right. like, it's still nice and it's like, good job. Thanks for handling all this payment stuff for me. And I also think it's nice because you can also probably have it like adjust an existing subscription and stuff, for example, do really does take some technical debt off your plate. But okay, then there's that crucial thing where it's like, you know, a lot of people reach for Stripe to begin with because they have these great APIs, right? And right. that I don't want to send somebody with a PayPal button away from my site. I think it would be a better experience if you never left my site, you checked out right on my site. That's like a UX yeah. decision that people make. I make it. I like that. Uh, I want you to upgrade and I want a little tiny little contextual modal to come up. I want it to be feel very chill. I want it to accept credit cards and give you good feedback while you're filling out that form. And then I want you to be successful. And then I want that modal to close. And now you are on a higher plan. That's the experience I'm trying to build. Stripe supports that too in this thing that they call Stripe Elements. This isn't new stuff, I don't think. They probably have had this forever. Yeah, it's been out for a couple of years now, or a couple of API versions. Yeah, I, and I bet, I bet when we built our original payment stuff, that it didn't exist. So yeah. we were on our own to make our own payment forms, and then. Um, hit their API, get data back. You know, we were, we were on our own building this stuff. I would rip all that out. I, I'm in the process of doing it, actually, and just use Stripe Elements instead. Now, of course, us using React, it's one of the benefits of using a framework like React is that they ship componentry in React and, I pr and probably nothing else. I don't think I saw any view in there. Or anything, you know. We're using it actually, so we're just we just built a payment system. Uh, and did you use Stripe Elements? Yeah, so using the um, in like you. Yes, but it's it's like the um, it's not their elements. Maybe it's like the. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't remember the words for this. This is on me. Stripe checkout. It looks like there's some. Uh, no, no, that's okay. It looks like there are examples of of Stripe checkout with Vue. So maybe it's third it's party like through the Stripe JS thing. So it'll like inject oh, yeah. it on the page or whatever. 
So uh-huh. the payment element um, specifically. Um, and so what's cool about this or what I find is like, A, they've done all the UX research on what makes a successful credit card. That's how they make their money. Well, that's the thing, dude. You get this. They're incentivized to make this checkout awesome instead of me who will do it and then not touch it for two years, you know? Right. And so it works like with standard American credit cards and, you know, it'll, you know, add, dynamically add fields or whatever if it needs it or whatever. Oh, but, and not to mention payment methods and have amazing error checking automatically instead of you writing a freaking regex to test your credit card number and make sure it's in the right format. Yeah. Oh, don't want to do that. Forget that. Uh, it will support that weird uh, bank from the Netherlands that only does like bank to bank transfers. Uh, it'll support, you know, Apple Pay, Google like, Pay, bank transfer. Yeah, there's oh, plugins dude. for all that stuff. So like, Anyway, it's it's a very cool, um, yeah, it's it's a very cool sort of. I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, this in the documentation is great, and it, I really like how the, as they do this little walkthrough, they're like, here's here's what you should do first: set up a little route on your site that you can hit, and it has access to your private key. And then the front end will have access to your public key. So you can get that set up working already. And you're like, okay, okay, I'll do that. And then and then the back end makes a little request over to Stripe. And they have they have back end libraries in everything, you know, Ruby, Python, Go, anything, you know, JavaScript, Node, you know. And and so it's really easy to set up and they give you the code to do it. So you got that going, and it creates what they call a payment intent. And it responds with all kinds of useful stuff, including this client token you need. And you pass the client token to the to the little form that's about to check out. And now it's ready to use. <clears throat> and you can actually check out with it. And you're like, oh, you sneaky devils. You made me essentially integrate this thing in a complete way just to kind of see the UI. Like it re- they really want you to get that little client secret before you even are even really like looking at the UI. But it's so easy to do that it's so tempting to do it. And now I'm like, oh man, I basically just did the work. I like have now a working version of Stripe Elements that I could just ship. You know, like of course there's going to be a little bit more polishing up and getting used to it. But then you're kind of in the fun part. So, you know, in, in my world, you, you call this payment elements function and it's, it's you know, it's dynamically determining the, the payment methods that are possible mm-hmm. on your machine at the moment. So it's like, oh, I'm in Chrome. It's showing me Google Pay. But if I go to Safari, it'll show me Apple Pay. You know, like, oh, geez, that's freaking great. Good job. You know? Yeah. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, and doing all the error checking really really nice. And then you and then it gives you this little options object in JavaScript and you're like, what 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 can I do with this? You know, it's like, oh, I see you have you have eight or so themes so I can control it. Oh, you don't like the themes or you want to customize them? Here's like the eight most common things you want to change. A big one is like font family. You want it to be mm-hmm. the same font as your website so you just set the font family and it's like wow that went a long way to looking in there and i'm like and then i'm just then my css brain takes over and it's and and they do all this theming via just custom properties so they allow you to set this slew of custom properties so i was just sitting there making sure it matches our design system perfectly and i'm like oh i love this good job you know and it just had me thinking of what companies can do to just 
help their customers in the best possible way do what they need to do. And you start talking about Figma and that they're helping with you know helping developers do what they need to do. This is another example of just I think just knocking it out of the park with. <laughs> well, and it makes you want to use it again, right? Like that. Yeah. I feel like and they probably have some data, right? Like you don't want to. We're not always setting up payment systems every day. Maybe some people are, right? But like the next job you go to, you're probably going to say Stripe because you had such a good experience, you know, or the next, you know. So like they're incentivized to make that a good experience. And I don't know, man, I'm almost like you could, I feel like you could make a business just making things better as opposed to like just making new stuff all the time. You know, you're just like, Hey, we made it easier to do the thing you liked to do or needed to do. And that's huge. So yeah, kudos to them. I, it's, they're a good company. They also have grips of cash to handle all these problems in a really <laughs> good way. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. Yeah. Secret to path to revenue, be a company that collects your people's revenue. Right. And, and, and the other one I think which is crucial to them is have a, a blue link that says share in the upper right corner and you can open it and you can type in somebody who works with you's email address into it and it will invite them to look at this very useful document with you. That's what they called network effects in software and it gets the whole company using it. And then when everybody's using it and says, Oh, how much is a team account again? Oh, it literally doesn't matter because everybody needs to use this thing. So you could charge whatever the hell you want for it. No, that's a, I, that's a good one. It's that one's hard to code for me. Like the security model on like, if you have this secret link, you know, um, <laughs> you got it's it. not a secret anymore. You know, that's you know, it's the money model, though. You, yeah. No, I'm not saying that every app in the world. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but I think it's freaking huge. And I, I we're working on it now. I mean, no huge surprise there, probably. But it, it has required a, a different way of thinking about permissions for sure. And do I, and I, it's not, I, I would, wouldn't go so far to say I regret doing it the way we did first. You know, it's, you need to have a learning experience. No, I, I think you're like obfuscated URL structure work works still, you know? Um, oh, yeah. But when it's like a Google docs level secrets, <laughs> like there, I'm just like, are we sure this is secret? You know, <laughs> we're just, transmitting letting them transmit i think their model's a little better though honestly because yeah it auths through a google account and yeah, yeah. it's real we'll, we'll pr- probably have both but you know i wonder if you'll even remember at one point the code pen urls to private things were were just one big long string and now if you go this I don't know, must a year at least since we made this change. You'll see the original private URL slash and then a big long string. So that if you unprivate it, that big long thing just goes away. But it otherwise behaves exactly the same. But the idea is that we're starting to think in tokens more. Like that additional big long string is actually a token, and the token is what gives you the puts you in the correct the permissions role. To see right. it, okay. right? And if you don't have that token, then you don't get that permission, and then you can't see it if the pen is is is, is private or whatever. That's a lot cleaner. Um, it's you know, it's a required a little extra 
may, you could maybe argue it's a slightly less clean URL, but I think it's pretty fine. It's just a slash oh, no, in there. It, Who cares? You know, it's actually good for me when I like. Oh yeah, it's not private anymore. I don't have to go dig for another URL, or and you're not redirecting. Yeah, and, and there's just been proof lately that uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, have you looked at the URL for Notion? Any page on Notion, anyone at all that you're on, the URL is a mess. <laughs> it's it's what I would get from my old school experience, just a horrible looking URL. They're just UUIDs, you know? But they, does anybody care? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Somehow uh, Notion uh, defaulted my, like, link url you know uh to <laughs> it's uh it's yeah it's so it's so much garbage uh but like when i publish something or whatever um it is it the uh the url that they give me is accessible louse and i'm like <laughs> i'll take it sure that i'll yeah I'll you mean the, like dot site urls if you make them public yeah yeah right. mine is accessible louse <laughs> <laughs> It's good. I'll yeah, take that's it. funny. That's funny. I bet they do that for like uh, caching. You know, you gotta have yeah. a, a unique subdomain for. Yeah, I can't even find one that's like published. But whatever. I'll, on one day. Yeah, yeah, I mostly anyway. mean just your URLs internally. You know, and I think that's more and more common that you see stuff like UUIDs and URLs because maybe partially because browsers have started hiding URLs more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's starting to matter less what if your URL is really nice and clean looking. I'm seeing a lot of like English slug slash or dash actual computer slug, you know, or computer UUID. Oh, right. And then yeah. there's some regex that will just takes the URL and splices it and then fetches the record it needs. Like it's very obvious to me what they're doing, but it's very like, mm. you know, it makes people think feel like they have a cool URL. That's the good way of doing it. The bad way is that that there's a string in there that doesn't matter, that you could put accessible louse in right in the middle of the URL, but it's only the it's only the UUID at the end that matters. Cause then you have that duplicate content issue and stuff. I, I think that's sloppy. Um yeah, I agree. But uh, I don't even know how we got into that. But permissions models pretty good if you can <laughs> Permission models are hard, man. I I feel like you could have a whole department at your work that just figures that out, you know? That <laughs> yeah. and onboarding flows. Like those are two whole departments in my brain. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, we you know, this we use this thing called app cues at CodePen too that shows little pop-ups and stuff. Hopefully it's not too annoying, but we've been using a little bit more recently, especially for customers who I mean like you've been on a free account for seven years, you know? Like I'm gonna <laughs> send you a special pop-up that reminds you that we have pro plans, you know. Just sorry, but that's what we're gonna do, you know. Uh, and you, the default way that you link up app queues is, is, is to a third-party JavaScript. Like Stripe Elements is similar. You know, you, you might need to link up some of their JavaScript to make it work, you know. But app queues is not, it's just for showing these pop-up things. And I'm thinking of it because of onboarding, that mm-hmm. we have some of our onboarding tours are powered by it. 
and so, and um, some people block it like an ad blocker or whatever. Yeah, it it right. just looks like third party whatever. And we've recently started. It's it's just a it's a feature that they actually support. It's just like oh, you can just CNAME that if you want, and so and have it be like appcues.codepen.io or something. And then it's not generally just instantly blocked. Like people, you can block it if you want. It's still got a unique URL, but like I didn't like that it was by default blocked. So sorry if that's offensive to some people, but we started kind of pseudo proxying it because it's part of our friggin' onboarding flow. I don't want you to like sign up for CodePen and then not see the onboarding because your dumb ad blocker blocked it. I wish you can. I wish there's this will never happen, but I wish there's a way to be like, I am not a bad guy. Literally, if I'm scraping your data and like doing all that, I I apologize because I literally didn't know I was doing it or, you know, or that sounds negligent. But like, I just I'm not doing anything with it. I'm not doing anything criminally intentful. I promise. Like if I wanted to sell your email address, I don't know anybody that would buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I say that, but I I just read this book. Are you ready? Yeah. It's, uh, it's called, you're going to have to bleep this out. It's called mind by Christopher Wiley. Um, and he worked on, uh, Wiley. Yeah. He worked for Cambridge Analytica, like, Oh, right. And and it's a really interesting story. He just, he worked like for the Obama campaign and then he worked for like Lib Dems in, uh, in the UK and then like worked for like a, you know, a military DOD contract or whatever. And then fighting like jihadists and stuff like that. So and is then, the guy, is he feeling bad that he did all that? And I mean, you always take the bag and then you feel bad. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> then you write a book and take another bag. Yeah. You get two bags. That's how you get the, the old two bag trick. But, um, he, um, yeah, he, he basically whistle blew, um, uh, about it and went, you know, spoke to Congress and stuff like that. But, it was a really, I mean, just like it, it was an effort where pe- this machine he built, this behavioral analytic machine could predict people's behaviors and it figured out how it could nudge people's behaviors based on certain, you know, do you shop at Whole Foods and you have an AT&T phone or something? It could like figure out like, well, cool, then I can maybe make you vote, you know, in the next election or whatever. Um and it, it's it's had a uh, the technology that like model basically has like impacted Obama's win. Uh, it impacted mm-hmm. Trump's win. It impacted Brexit's win. Uh, like the Leave EU stuff, and like so. All to say is it works, I guess. <laughs> and so, uh, but they did some underhanded things, and then and it was generally like just motivating people to vote until it got into the hands of people who were a little less had a less of a moral compass and they were more about let's make as much money as possible and then let's let's explode the world or you know steve bannon style flood the field with so literal steve bannon actually so (laughs) Mm. anyway so just just cause chaos and 
get people mad at each other and then they won't vote because they're just mad or think that their vote doesn't count. Anyway, it's just, it's really interesting. So all to say, yeah, maybe collecting data is bad. <laughs> so <laughs> dang it. It all came around. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say no. Collecting yeah. data isn't bad. Selling the data is bad. You know, and that right. it's funny because they're just like, we just would walk up to like phone companies and, and wherever, like Brazil and just say like, can we just have your customers' data? And they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, oh my god. Well, that was easy. So, <laughs> hopefully, those days are coming to a close. Yeah. Needless to say, if I was asked for data, I would not provide it. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't even. I would just groan because that would be another thing I'd have to do. Oh yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I'm not going to provide it to you because I don't want to. Because I'm freaking busy matching Korok buddies to each other. So yeah, well. yeah, that's a lot of work and interrupts my <laughs> Zelda gameplay um, <laughs> negatively. So probably not. So yeah, you know what I was doing the other day? This is the last thing. I just have it on my list here because it annoyed me about half an hour ago. Or I guess we've been recording longer than that. But shortly before recording, is that I had this header bar, you know, mm-hmm. and there's like a input element and imagine like input with a data list so that a, a drop down comes yeah. down you yeah know? right autocomplete um, kind of thing yeah and i was like oh you know what i want but the but the the thing that pops out is a custom component it's not the browser default but it, i think i don't think it, i think if well, well we'll we'll see what you think about this so the custom component is like as big as the input that it came from is in but i'm like oh sometimes the results are pretty long so i actually want to like uh, when when there's enough room on the you know, on its parent component, I want I just want, I'm just going to force the width wider so it looks good. But if there's not room, don't don't do that. So it's like oh, container query. I'm going to container query it up, baby. And I'm going to you know I'm going to have the the container that I care about is actually like a couple of parents up. Actually, like I think it's going to be part of like the whole header kind of area. Which at the moment is at the same size as the browser window, but it wouldn't have to be like if there's a sidebar opened up, maybe it would squish that area. So I'm, I'm just trying to think future if future friendly here. I'm going to make that header component a container, but just putting con- the, so container is the property in CSS. A lot of times you just say container inline size, or you say container name slash inline size, and you name it because naming is nice. Because if you're trying to be really specific later when you actually write the container query you can reference the name that way if if you don't do that you just get the next container the next one that it finds yeah and it's like there can, it, it can be not weird. be good yeah right like, i've i've actually ran into that like just in my experiments i was like why are right. you like 100 pixels wide yeah oh you went to that you might guy. as well be specific. So. If your brain is thinking specifically about which container, then just name it. And then you won't have the problem. But as soon as I put it on there, it cut off the the dropdown of the results because, mm. because that component is only 100 pixels tall or so. And the container, boom, hidden overflow. Oh, really? Just the having the container property on it because of the inline size-ness of it. Immediately overflow hidden, essentially. I don't know if it's treated the same as overflow or whatever, but I was like, well, that's out. Yeah. I was like, oh crap. I haven't seen such a bad side effect yet from container queries, but that's a kind of a bad one. Cause a lot of times you're thinking about cards and you're like, usually you kind of like want the overflow hiddenness 
on a card layout because you're like, don't, I don't want nothing to pop out of this. But when it comes to uh, additional UI, that's like, you know, which will come up with the anchor pop-ups or the, you know, the pop-up proposal that's and all that. That's what I was going for. I mean, you'd have to pop up in your Chrome canary, but um, you could try the pop over uh, oh, attribute. Oh, see if it promotes it a little higher. Ooh, ba 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 ba. That because might do it. Because that'll put on a top layer, not on your, not on your uh, header layer. That is a good and idea. Maybe that is enough to divorce it from the height constraint. I actually, I thought inline size was literally the inline size, but now that it like constrains the vertical size, the block size, vertical. That's interesting to me too. Yeah, because that we've never had directionally hidden overflow. It's like you can say overflow x hidden overflow y visible, but it's like it does not honor that. <laughs> that's yeah, not a I thing. I was trying to use container size, which is height and width. You know, um, and, and it was like container collapsing. size is a property that means both height and width. I believe so. Oh, uh, wow. Let me see. Container size. Uh, I was like reading. This is why you never read docs because it'll tell you stuff that you can use and then it doesn't actually work in the browser sort of. Or like it just didn't work how I expected and it like yeah, collapsed yeah. the whole thing. Um, and and it was just like, oh, I don't. I think I have to. It, it only works if you specify a height in a width on something or, or it only works oh, on something that has yeah. a height, like a canvas or something like that. Or, or, mm. uh, you know, anyway, <clears throat> it, it didn't work. <laughs> I was working very hard and it didn't work. It reminds so. me of the inset property, how that's like a forgotten one a little bit, but if you need like a rectangle or something inside another one, instead of going like, Top ten, right ten, left ten, bottom ten, or or the or the logical property version of those, you can just say inset ten, and it sets all four of them. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> Robin Rendell and um, a few other people were talking on the Mastodon, and we were just talking about like sometimes you have like a, a blog post, right? And sometimes you have a title that's like two words like fit text or something like right, that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you have like a title that's like 10 words. Like mm -hmm. let me just go to my blog real quick. Um, lessons from Soviet Russian on deploying small nuclear generators. Okay. <laughs> so, Pretty long. Yeah. 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 I've done longer, but like right. you, and, and I kind of want like my title to only always be about two lines. Right. So I kind of actually want like my, the longer my title gets like, the font size to shrink. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like based on the, the size of its content. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Uh, what would you call that? There's a, you know, like what, what's the one that you can trim line trim, but it's like similar. You could say like, I want this content to just be two lines long. You can say, I want this headline to just be two lines long. Adjust what you adjust font size as you will. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I wish like, does that property exist? No, it no. doesn't. No. Okay. I was like, <laughs> that, that solves the problem, Chris. Um, but I was just kind of like, oh, it'd be cool if I could do this. Um, I, you know, you can do it in JavaScript. You can be like text yeah, content. Yeah, a PHP length. version of that in WordPress back in the day. It would count the letters in PHP and apply a class. Or like kind of long class headline. CSS var or something like that. Sure. Right? I wonder if it would be sick, like if you could write a height query. 
yeah. on it and then set the size smaller, but that would be cyclical, wouldn't it? It's like, if the headline is too tall, then make it smaller. And that's where I was trying to do, <laughs> and it was very mad at me. It was just, I think it was like bailing out, you know? Um, but I wrote one that was like, uh, yeah, I can post it or maybe I'll put it in the show notes here, but, um, I wrote one that was like, <laughs> we're calling it text. squunch. Yeah. I think that was Ethan Marcotte. Uh, That's squunching. wonderful. We're squunching text, uh, but trying to get it to squunch up. Oh gosh. You had to be very JavaScripty about it. It looks like, well, I injected like a span for every single <laughs> character in there. And then I use has uh, CSS has to control, like oh, count the spans and then squinch has it. nth of type on the span. Yeah. You could use lettering JS for this too, I suppose. But uh, um, yeah, I wouldn't, but I would just, <laughs> but you could, <laughs> or what's uh, the, what's the Stephen Shaw splitting one? JS. Split, yeah. yeah. You can um, do that. I like the, it, the has span nth of type is it's like a, what we used to call that back even before has existed, like a, a quantity query, I yeah, think they were kind of called. This yeah. is kind of like a really basic quantity query. That's clever. Yeah. It no, sucks I, that you have to count the spans. I mean, that's It would not, be cool. I'm not, you know, CSS wishlist. It would be cool if I could squinch things, you know. I had a text squinch property. <laughs> property. <laughs> <laughs> Squunching property. I wanted text text squinch property uh and you know value could be i don't know maybe i give it like three or four values or something i don't know uh, or clamp or something could work out like yeah, that it's, i don't know css has never messed with like the content so much you know like you, you know it would yeah. have been nice to have like a contains and then an arbitrary word or something. So you could cars 50. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. yeah. They've never messed with that. And this seems similar. Mm -hmm. uh, although yeah. I don't know. I think that's some hard rule or anything. This is a good use case. This is the perfect pen that can start a conversation about this. Yeah. So anyway, squunching. Yep. If, if somebody finds a really simple way to squinch text, with like three Everybody different Everybody put it values. on your 2024 wish list. Text squinch. Let's put it in the CSS uh, qu quiz surveys coming out. Uh -huh. Text text squinch. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was at CSS day. It seems like they talked about a lot of interesting to come stuff with the vibe of like, if you think what, you know, what we've gotten recently in CSS is a big deal, just wait kind of vibe. And I'm like, really? Cause I can't even think of more stuff really <laughs> like almost like slow down. Jeez. Yeah. Well, no, I, I feel like we could do a whole show on that. Like is CSS going too fast, like too hard? Uh, yeah. Because there's starting to be a little bit of pushback. And, and I don't know. I, um, I, I kind of, I, I'm actually in the heck no. It was wow. neglected for a decade. So let's right. do what we like can. Like what's your least favorite? Can you name something that you just hate in CSS? Like, I don't know that I can really. There's probably stuff I don't use that much, but it's not like there's some feature where I'm like, ooh, shit the bet on that one, CSS. Yeah. No, I think I think one common thing that comes up is is all the units, right? Like there's something like, 58 different CSS units or something like that. So, mm. um, I don't know, but we all kind of know. Right. And like, which one do you use? I feel like that, that would still be a very popular article. If somebody wrote a really good, which, how should you size your text 
something or whatever, you know, and be like, yeah. you could use these 18 units. And it'd be like, too many. That's too many. Yeah. We should probably just, I don't know, somebody draw a line in the sand and be like, these ones are okay and these are not. <laughs> like, just, yeah, just, I think that's line. what my brain did. You know, I was like, oh, like, REM is fine. I'm just going to only use that ever. Like, I, yeah. that's all. I mean, to this day, that's all I use. And it's, it's, I think it's because it doesn't, it doesn't make anybody mad and it works just fine for me. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I certainly don't use CH, you know, I only use CH sometimes. I'm not, but it's, but it doesn't really mean anything. You know what I mean? Like, that's, what's kind of weird about it is it's kind of like, it's the size of an M, you know, or whatever. And it's like, Oh, right. And then there was just a cloud floor article. Did you see that one? That was, I was probably from Tyler, somebody smart over there. Who's like, oh, we used it, but then when fout happens, your CH changes too. And so if you used CH for anything that's, you know, anything else, it will immediately change. Like when the font, the new font comes in. And they were setting like the height of a, of a hero image in CH. And it, it caused a bad, um, what do they call it? CLS. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a C right there. I'm like, nope. Forget it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> can't have that. So, no, it's, I, I think they've done, they did some work in that. I, I read that article, but they did some work. I feel like there was one that kind of surprised them too. It like wasn't responsive or something like that. Or was that the CH? Like it, like when you zoom, maybe, the, yeah, I'm going to, I'm saying it wrong. But I felt like there's one, somebody was like, hey, if you use this, it's not actually responsive anymore or something and it was kind of a surprise or something so anyway i can't remember it wasn't ch but yeah i mm. think like it'd be cool to round up all this like <laughs> like like known issues with each element or each unit you know and then like draw a line in the sand like don't use inches don't use centimeters or whatever um we're just not using those um I don't even know what even feels good anymore. I mean, I don't use pixels and I don't generally, you know, I, I think we do for like border radius, you know, stuff that you want to be pretty specific about. But even that I occasionally regret when I see somebody's cool demo that uses like, uh, like V min or something for border radius. I'm like, Oh, that looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but pixels are just so meaningless in my brain now that we've gone through so many iterations of pixel density and stuff that it, it is now firmly an absolutely arbitrary number. It's like, it doesn't mean anything for me. It's like, it's the number I, it's the unit I use when I'm being lazy, like, and I know I'm just, Mm. I just don't want to figure out what I'm actually dealing with, you know, just like eight done. So anyway. All right, man. Well, th thanks for taking all the time in your friggin' hotel room to hang out. I hope you end up having weird conversations in a hotel bar later and I will do my say best some stuff. You have regret and wake up a little dehydrated. <laughs> I can do that. I, I'm <laughs> fully capable of doing that. So oh, I, good. I know I have the tools. <laughs> Yeah. Wake <laughs> up to some some Hilton eggs. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, got, <laughs> got a continental breakfast, I hear. So, God, hey. darn right. <laughs> Hope better have a waffle maker, or uh, I bet it's the, I think it's the kind of hotel where you pay $20 for a waffle. You know, it's not. Yeah, the, uh, I see, I see. It's not the roadside. Yeah. Not the roadside. Six waffles. Uh, uh, 
Anyway. I miss that sometimes, though, man. I'll tell you, when we went to Hawaii and I was at the Aulani Resort, very fancy, you know, I was like, where's the Motel 6 coffee, dude? Like, I, you had to buy coffee in the morning, and I was incensed about it. I was like, how does oh, no. the business model for this not not include a freaking coffee in the morning? We should have gone to the Hampton Inn, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something about a Hampton. Tell you what. Everything is covered in fruit loops and it's wonderful. 10-day-old <laughs> croissant with some fruit loops in it. You yeah. can get that. I want my fruit in. loops squunched down into the cushions of where I'm sitting. Mm, for sure. Squunching, squunching. All right. Hey, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. I hope people find out about the show. Follow us on, on socials. I think, um, yeah. Anyway, and then, um, yeah, join us um, in the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Uh, shop talk show.com. 